So uh, the formal practice of loving-kindness meditation, um, as I said, it's like an experiment. I think that's a very good way to approach it. I also, it also is sometimes called, and I like to call it play. We're going to play with our minds. We're going to play with our assumptions. We're going to play with our attention. Um, and that's what we're really doing. Uh, the practice is done by the silent repetition of certain phrases. And what we try to do is gather our attention around each phrase, just one phrase at a time, and then the next, and then the next. And then when your attention wanders, maybe it goes very far away, in fact, doesn't matter. You just try to gently let go, bring your attention back to the phrases. So there's a balance there. We say the phrases knowing they have meaning. We're not just repeating empty words, but we're not trying to force a feeling or an emotion. And that's why the gathering. We try to be with each phrase wholeheartedly, completely. And then on to the next phrase in the same way. The phrases are the conduit for our hearts and also for our attention. We tend to use very simple phrases, very general phrases, because one of the things we're trying to do is not just engage in endless discursive thinking. You don't have to come here on Sunday in order to do that. We do that all the time anyway. Uh, we try to use phrases that can basically stay the same whether we're offering them to ourselves or offering them to others. It's not, thank you, we won't always be that way. Sometimes someone comes to mind and with them comes a whole other set of phrases and that's perfectly fine. But what you don't want is to be sitting there and maybe you've used a phrase like, may I be happy with yourself and then you think of a friend and you think of, may you be happy, and that's fine. And then you think of another friend, and you think, may you be happy, and then you think, oh, maybe not you. <laughs> you know, you get really lazy when you get happy. May you be what? What? May you be content? No, that would be even worse. You'd really be asleep if you were content. May you be what? What? You know, because then we're just gone. Um, the power of the practice is actually in that gathering. It's the wholeheartedness of our being behind one phrase at a time. That's why we try to keep things simple so we can basically use the same phrases so we're not in that agony of thinking all the time, you know. But again, you don't want to feel imprisoned by that, but basically go toward the simple side of things when you can. So we also, uh, in that vein, we choose phrases that are pretty general. Not like, may I you know, get to move my car before I get a ticket, but may I be happy, may I be peaceful, something like that. So big, general. Uh, the, remember also these phrases are all translations, so they may not work for you. Uh, there may be other phrases you want to use that's totally fine, but choose something after some period of experimentation. So I sometimes call them good enough phrases. You know, they don't have to be perfect, just good enough so you don't feel 
a struggle. And, you, you know, it's hard to say what will elicit that sense of struggle. Some people I've discovered cannot stand that word happiness or happy. You know, it's just not going to work for them. And that's important for them to see. Use another word. It doesn't matter. But some set of phrases, three or four phrases. Uh, one translation of uh, the phrases in Pali, <coughs> the Pali language is something like, uh, beginning with oneself, may I be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. This last, may I live with ease, means in the things of day-to-day -day life, like livelihood and family, may it not be a struggle. May I live with ease. May I be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. You can use these phrases or other phrases if those are better for you. Three or four phrases, the feeling tone is like a blessing. Sometimes people don't like that uh, grammatical construct of may I or may you. It sounds too much like pleading or begging. Uh, and as I've often quoted my friend Sylvia Borstein, um, who told me um, it's the hortatory subjunctive part of speech. And she said, it's like you hand someone a birthday card and you say, may you have a happy birthday. May you have a great new year. It's just that sensibility, like, may you be safe. May you be healthy. The practice is also done uh, by making this offering through the phrases to a variety of different beings, people, creatures. It doesn't have to be just people, although usually I slip and say people, um, as we you know we tend to do. But uh, it's beings. So we start classically with ourselves, and we end with the offering of loving kindness to all beings everywhere, to all of life. And we do a variety of different things in the middle. Uh, some of it is very subjective. If you're sitting at home, it might be that um, you have a friend in real trouble and you really want to hold them in your heart. Or you have a meeting with someone you feel a little scared of and you want to see what happens if you relate to them very differently in your mind. Or you have a friend you feel grateful to that uh, for whom it feels important that you hold them in your heart and wish them well. Or there's a whole category of beings, um, people known as neutral people those whom we don't particularly like or dislike. Very often, people who play a certain role in our lives, uh, and not splendidly, uh, and not terribly, but just a kind of ordinary encounter with a clerk or something like that. Uh, and it's very interesting to include someone like that in your meditation. So obviously, if you're sitting for 20 minutes, you can't necessarily go through every category, so the basic bookends are to start with yourself, end with all beings, and you might each day do something different. 
in the middle. So I'm going to guide you through one variation, one set of options on a progression um, for loving kindness practice, okay? So they say the first thing the Buddha said about the practice, nicely enough, was sit comfortably. Sit comfortably physically. If you start to get distracted by physical pain, it's fine to move. Try not to wiggle just because you're a little antsy. And sit comfortably emotionally. Remember, we're playing. You don't have to force yourself to love everybody before lunch. We're just going to stretch our attention using these phrases. We're playing. Okay? Okay. Um, the question was, how can one include friends or benefactors who have died? Um, I think you, you have, there are a couple of different options. One is you can just include them. Um, most traditionally, one includes beings who have died in a, a particular practice which is called sharing merit. That's sharing merit, which is the most traditional way to include someone. I would say if, you, if the uh, most powerful benefactor for you co who comes to mind has died, don't worry about including them in the ordinary course of the practice. And before the end of the day, we'll describe sharing merit and, and how to do that, okay? So sit comfortably. You can close your eyes or not, however you feel most at ease. Let your energy settle. See if there's certain phrases that come to mind that are big enough, general enough, so that you can offer them to yourself and offer them to others. Beginning with oneself, phrases like, may I be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. And just repeat them over and over again toward yourself, for yourself, with enough space and enough silence so that it's a rhythm that's pleasing to you. a friend who said he thought he'd get extra credit if he said more phrases. He used to say them really fast. You don't need to do that. This is like the song of the heart. It should be a rhythm that's pleasing to you. Gather all of your attention behind one phrase at a time. And then the next. And when you find your attention has wandered, it's okay. It's really okay. Just gently let go of whatever and bring your attention back.
and call to mind a benefactor. That's someone who's helped you. They've been good to you. Or maybe you've never even met them, but they've inspired you. The texts say, this is the one whom when you think of them, you smile. Could be an adult, could be a child, could be an animal. Some embodiment of loving kindness, of compassion for you. So if someone comes to mind, bring them here. You can get an image of them. Say their name to yourself. Get a feeling for their presence and offer the phrases of loving kindness to them. May you be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease, or whatever your phrases might be. And if no one comes to mind, don't worry about it. All is not lost. You can just continue on with offering loving kindness to yourself. And then a friend, the first friend who comes to mind. You can get an image of them, say their name to yourself, get a feeling for their presence, and offer the phrases of loving kindness to them.
And someone here you didn't know before you got here. You still may not know their name, but you can just get a feeling for them and offer the phrases of loving kindness to them. And everybody here, which might involve a whole variety of different relationships, those whom you know quite well, those whom you don't know at all, and yourself. And all beings everywhere, all people, all creatures, all those in existence, near and far, known and unknown, may all beings be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. So we're going to have a, a few minutes for questions before we break for lunch. But first, um, because part of what uh, could potentially happen during the lunch break is that you'll choose to do some walking meditation. I want to give some instructions for one of the several ways that loving kindness practice can be done walking. And then if you want,
you can uh, experiment with it or play with it <laughs> as, as part of um, the break for lunch. So uh, there are a couple of very simple things to remember in doing loving kindness while walking. And again, there are lots of different approaches that different uh, systems will take, different traditions will take toward it. And so I'm just going to offer you my favorite one. If you have your own favorite one that you're already accustomed to, please feel completely free to do that instead. So the two simple uh, points, practical points, is we do walking meditation with eyes open. Uh, and the other is in terms of, well, I'll give you two more. One is, uh, given that if you're doing walking meditation on the streets of New York, um, you don't really want to slow down a whole lot uh, necessarily. So feel completely free to do this at a normal pace. Loving kindness walking is done at a normal pace anyway. Uh, so just walk. Uh, and the third is that it's the silent repetition of these phrases. I've gotten into trouble in the past by not emphasizing that clearly enough, or I've gotten someone else into trouble. Um, and sometimes in the walking, the phrases, uh, you need fewer phrases. Four might feel like too many. And uh, my favorite way to do walking meditation while doing loving kindness is to basically walk silently repeating some phrases for myself, like, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. May I be happy, may I be peaceful. And then when someone comes strongly into my consciousness, someone walks by, or I hear a dog, or I hear a bird, or I see a little insect, I just quickly include them, like, oh, be happy. And then go back to silently repeating the phrases for myself. So the repetition of the phrases is a very light awareness. You're not trying to block out everything else to kind of hunker down and just be tightly with the phrases. It's not like that at all, but it's like this touchstone as we uh, keep moving, okay? So do you have any questions before we talk about breaking for lunch? Yeah, um, there is a microphone somewhere. Can we use that? And if you could just hold the microphone up close, that will, first of all, make sure that it's recorded for posterity. That makes you feel really good, I'm sure. And if not, I'll, I'll repeat the question if you can. Hi. <laughs> Excellent. Ah, no, so, um, so how do you uh, do meditation um, if someone you love is very sick with cancer and you want to balance the reality with hopefulness? Okay, so um, I think of the phrases of loving kindness as basically our way of being present rather than being absent, either through... Um, uh, sometimes, I'm sure Gina will talk about this more this afternoon in terms of compassion, sometimes in a, a really difficult or painful situation, our own uh, distress becomes the strongest thing going. 
uh, so much so that it actually overtakes the compassion because it's so painful for us and that's what we might be focused on um, that we just lose energy, we lose heartfulness, you know, to actually be present with someone else. So we do the practice in a way to try to have a kind of balance and this is not to imply that it's easy because uh, it's not easy but it's also um, it's very important so that we we can be present in an ongoing way. Uh, I would just change the phrases to however suits you. Um, and uh, although some people even in, in those situations will actually use a phrase like may you be healthy, not thinking that it will uh, necessarily be so in a conventional way, but it's our blessing, it is, our, it is our way of being present. So that's really up to you, whether you want to use that phrase or, or change a phrase. But, uh, you know, just remember it's about presence. And presence is very difficult in those situations. You know, because we can so easily be disheartened and discouraged and afraid and uh, feel um, powerless and helpless, you know, and, and I mean, we naturally will feel all those things, but if they became the, become the main thing, then it's going to be very hard to, to hang in there in, in a meaningful way. So, you know, we can allow those feelings without having them be uh, so totally gripping by keeping some kind of loving kindness going. It's actually one of the ways it works. I'm not sure if you can um, answer this or not, but I was curious. Um, CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, mm -hmm. um, I don't, neither of you are therapists, but uh, they talk a lot about affirmations. And I wondered what the relationship was of when you're doing a loving kindness for yourself and some of the affirmations that, that you know, one learns in these CBT, like I, I'm loving and lovable, I... Um, you know those those kinds of things. Is that does it have some similar overlap or? Uh, I I can't really say. Um, and you're quite correct. I'm not a therapist, but uh, the practice of loving kindness is usually distinguished from the practice of affirmations. Doesn't mean it's antithetical or antagonistic, but it's different. It's it's really not the same practice. Sometimes. Uh, people don't like may I or may you, and that's fine, but to say I am happy is not really a substitute within the structure of this practice um, because maybe uh, we're not that happy, actually, in the moment. Um, but uh, without going into the territory of an affirmation, it also happens that the meanings of different words change over time. So say you're doing may I be happy, may I be healthy, something like that. Our sense of happiness changes over time. Our sense of health changes over time. Um, when I was practicing in Burma, the, uh, which is where I first did this practice intensively in a systematic way, the translation of the phrases as offered to me there were um, may I be free from danger, may I be free from mental suffering, 
may I be free from physical suffering, uh, may I live with ease, or may I have ease of well-being. And I actually did them that way because that's, that was the instruction and it was uh, great. You know, I didn't really have any problem with it. But then I came back and I started teaching loving kindness and I just taught it in the way I've been doing it. And, um, you know, I think at the end of the first sitting, the line of people to complain was stretching like, you know, like down to Sixth Avenue or something. And uh, because people felt very uncomfortable repeating a word like danger or suffering. And so even though I frankly had a fine time in Burma, you know, I knew it didn't matter. And so we tend to rephrase it here. But anyway, so there I was with those phrases, may I be free from danger, may I be free from mental suffering, may I be free from physical suffering, may I live with ease. And I didn't really like that fourth phrase. I thought, that's stupid. You know, it's so trivial, especially compared to the first three, like, may I be free from danger, you know? I like that, but, you know, may I live with ease? That's so trivial. But I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it because that was, you know, the instruction. And one day it was like I had just this really big shift and I thought, wow, our lives are so complicated. You know, the choices and the problems and the issues and the kind of crazy moral dilemmas that we face. I thought, may I live with ease? That's my favorite phrase. And so sometimes you just have to give it time and see how it, how it might shift. How do you make the leap between saying the phrases and actually believing them? Because I feel like sometimes in my practice, you know, I'll find myself saying like, oh, mate, all beings be happy, and I really feel myself believing it. And other times, I'm just kind of like, may all beings be happy and free, may all be, you know? So does that just something that comes with time, like just through saying it, or? What do you mean by believing it? Um, I mean, actually really wishing for people to be happy and free, as opposed to just repeating the okay. phrases over and over again. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, clearly it's a very natural and, and common experience. Um, I, uh, there are different approaches to take. I tend toward the approaches that are very simple. Uh, there are others that can be more elaborate that involve a lot more reflection and um, uh, bringing in different perspectives and things like that. The simple side of things is just uh, connecting to the phrase better so it's not just this rote repetition and so that's aiming your attention toward just one phrase don't be concerned about what's coming next don't worry about how many you're gonna get in in the space of 20 minutes or whatever um, don't fret about the extreme unlikelihood of all beings ever being safe or happy just like, because that's why I asked what you mean by meaning it. Uh, because to have that sense that if I say this loud enough and fast enough, it's going to happen is delusion. Um, but to say I, as a being, can uh, represent in my actions, in my aspirations, in my um, speech, 
in my relationships, in my effect on the world, I can represent non-harming, inclusiveness, compassion. That is true. That's meaning it. Um, and so you could just very simply notice that it's kind of sing-song or, or just wrote and just say, okay, one phrase. And, and that will actually help. I don't know where the microphone is. Yeah. Uh, would you comment on including in the circle a person with whom you're having difficulty or um, who has harmed you in some way? I think in practice before that person's been included. And mm -hmm. you didn't do it today. I just wondered if you would comment mm -hmm. on it. Are you going to do that? When you do compassion? Yeah. Um, uh, definitely it's an intrinsic part of the practice. It tends to be uh, obviously complicated. Um, and uh, what I just asked Gina if she was going to talk about that this afternoon when she talks about compassion. And I am now. Yeah, now she is. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, one of the instructions uh, in loving kindness toward a difficult person uh, is the suggestion that we not start, uh, you know, and you're perfectly welcome to include a difficult person, um, that we not start right away in that aspect of the practice with the person who has harmed us the most in this world or the person who has behaved just so uh, unbelievably on the world stage that it's almost unthinkable. Uh, most people I find don't really take this advice, but anyway, that's the <laughs> advice. And uh, the reason for that is that part of what's happening in the whole unfolding of the practice is that um, not through uh, intellectual analysis, but through experience, we're feeling our way into some understandings. Because there's some very big questions about all this. You know, what does it mean to have compassion for somebody and not give in to them? What does it mean to have a balance of loving kindness for ourselves and others? What does it mean to have loving kindness or compassion for someone and know they're not going to get better, that we can't make this situation just transform like that. You know, what does it mean to have a state of understanding or loving kindness for somebody and try with everything in us to keep them from hurting anyone else or us again? You know, so those are very real and important questions and it's part of the whole process of what happens as we do the practice. And so, you know, from that point of view, like the traditional point of view, by the time we are offering loving kindness to this really, really difficult person, we've been through some stuff in doing the practice and we have much more confidence and much more clarity, even if we don't have the words to answer those questions. It's like we feel the difference between compassion and giving in. You know, we feel what it's like to have that kind of balance. And so that's just a part of it. But as I said, almost nobody seems to like that advice because I'm, you know, forever offering it. 
just because it's traditional and somebody usually raises their hand at the end of a sitting if the sitting's devoted to uh, offering loving kindness to difficult people. Uh, actually, Gina and I both usually teach a seven-day loving kindness retreat at the Insight Meditation Society uh, in Barry, Massachusetts in February. And we go through all these different categories. So there might be like a whole day or half a day um, devoted to offering loving kindness to a difficult person. Somebody usually raises their hand after that very explicit piece of advice and after we sit and says something like, well, you know, I tried offering loving kindness to Hitler or something and it didn't really work. And, and I always sit there and think, didn't I just say? <laughs> but there's something in us that I think wants to go there. So uh, all of which is to say that if you find that it's really hard, don't feel discouraged. You know, it's perfectly fine to drop it and say, I'm going to go back to offering loving kindness to myself. I'm going to go back to offering loving kindness to someone for whom it's, it's easier. That's the right thing to do. Yeah, please. And that's why I think it's also the, the instructions that Sharon gave in the beginning are so important. The, the point that what we're doing is cultivating the ground that I think a lot of what happens in this practice is we tend to um, look for results. And so instead of really looking at the cultivation, which is, you know, the, what's recommended for the cultivation is this kind of gentle, gradual progression. And, but as Sharon was saying, we keep wanting to jump ahead and seeing how it can really work for this, that, or the other situation. But in fact, if we keep uh, the counsel of simply knowing that what we're doing is cultivating ground by these very simple, very gentle, very tender phrases and just developing the heart, that eventually the, the muscle of the heart gets so large that it can take um, those leaps that in the beginning we thought were not possible. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.